Let's pray once again. Father God, thank you for this time again. Can we ever stop thanking you for the time you've given us or or who you are or what you've done? Will it ever be enough from our finite mouths to glorify an infinite God? The God of our salvation. The God who looked upon our sin for what it was and lovingly came and offered that sacrifice for us. We praise your holy name. We thank you for all you are and all you've done. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. God has given us his word, and he's given us his word in various genres, in various ways from about 40 different authors. And and what we've been studying in the book of Acts is a historical narrative. And it's always fun to preach historical narrative. Sometimes we, we often just simply receive descriptive situations. And then we we glean from those things what God is trying to teach us about our Christian walk or or something about the world we live in or some combination of the two. And in our passage today, we're going to look at a few things centered around how the gospel was dramatically affecting the Gentile world. The fact that there was no little disturbance happening amongst them in their culture because of the witness of Jesus Christ amongst them. And we're going to consider, if we want to affect our world, if we want the gospel to go out and take its effect on our community, in our soil, our sphere of influence lives. How do these situations that we're going to read about today apply to us? When we we read this passage, I think we're going to see, first of all, Paul making plans. And look at how this is an example to us. Secondly, we're going to look at something about how the world thinks, and we're going to compare that to a Christian perspective on life. And thirdly, we're going to look at how a non-believing civic leader observed Christian behavior in his time, and we're going to understand what it describes about the Christian witness today. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 19, starting at verse 21. Acts chapter 19, starting at verse 21. Let's go ahead and stand up for the reading of God's Word. 1921, it says, Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having been sent into Macedonia, two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence. 
she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with confusion. They rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had even come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! When the town clerk quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis? And of the sacred stone that fell from the sky. Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here, who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly, for we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. The reading of God's word. Go ahead and be seated. Thank you. Here in this passage, we see three aspects of a Christian life that that if we live them out, would cause us to have an impact on the world around us. It would cause the the gospel of Jesus Christ to be carried out. We see three elements of gospel living that that carried previously, at that time, the good news out to the world and kind of shook them up, didn't it? It caused no little disturbance. The first thing is make plans. Second thing is, have no fear. And thirdly, walk in rational grace. Walk in rational grace. If we are going to be used by God, here where we are, to impact the world, we are going to have to plan to do it. The the good news of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection to forgive our sins and, and give us everlasting life, adopting us as sons and daughters of God, this message will go nowhere unless we plan on taking it there. 21 and 22. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and to go to Jerusalem saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. Having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. Paul made plans, didn't he? 
in order to fulfill his mission to carry the gospel message to the Gentiles, to those who hadn't heard or haven't understood what Jesus Christ has done for them. And let me tell you, the world we live in today, it's very much a Gentile world. There are so many people out there around us who don't even begin to understand the foundations of Scripture, and we need to approach them as Gentiles, just as Paul did. When we go to them and we say, did you know Jesus Christ died for you? Who's Jesus? He was a man, right? Why do I need this news of Jesus? Why would Jesus bother dying? We got to take them all the way back to the beginning and, and teach them the foundations that we live in a fallen world. We are all fallen short of God in our sin. We need to teach them about these basic things. And if we're going to do this, we got to make plans to do it just as Paul did. Paul made plans on purpose, intentionally, because the gospel will not fall out of us by accident, will it? Have you ever found the gospel just kind of coming out of you by accident? How you doing? Right? How's the weather? Did you see the Eagles game? They lost miserably, right? Let me show you a picture of my baby. These kinds of things. They they all come right out of us, don't they? Real natural. The, The things that we experience regularly, the things that we are interested in, the things we love, these things all come out of us very naturally. How often... Does the gospel fall out of us in our conversations? How deeply does it reside in our hearts and in our minds? How valuable do we see our salvation? Like Paul, we must be resolved. We we must be purposed and planned to share the gospel because satan will work in every way he can to hold you back oh that person won't want to hear it oh i'm scared of this the fears he'll he'll flood your mind with these things if we are not purposed and planned we will be distracted it won't just fall out of us naturally We need to plan it out much the same way we invest time and money and effort into going to the next sporting event or or planning our next vacation, studying players' stats, and, and we look at all the things that we might, the sights we might see on the way on our vacation, right? We, we put these, we invest time and, and effort into these things. We need to be resolved, and not just in our own hearts but making our plans in accord with the will of God, resolved with the Spirit in our hearts. With His words studied and hidden in our hearts and minds, we need to make plans and let the Lord guide our steps. We need to lay out concrete ideas of how we can be used by God for His gospel purposes, according to His word, and then drench them in prayer because we don't do this on our own we've studied multiple times through the book of acts how this whole gospel movement isn't ours right it belongs to god it is god's movement it's god's spirit that makes it happen right we need to drench our plans in prayer laying them before god 
lift them up to God by his spirit. And if we don't know how to pray, guess who does know how to pray for us? Pray anyway. The spirit knows how to pray for us, and he will intercede for us on our behalf, right? Romans 8.26, the spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Those things where you fall down and you say, I just don't know how to pray anymore. God's Spirit does. And he can pray for us when we don't have the words, when we we don't know how to plan, we don't know what, what Lord, is it that you want me to do? And, And the Spirit will intercede as we come sincerely before God. We need to make plans and and throw out the fleece. We aren't all knowing, are we? We need God's guidance. As my wife and I considered, should we move across the country? We prayed long and hard and we said, okay, God, if this is what you want us to do, we're going to need this, this, and this to fall into place. Otherwise, we don't see how we can do it. And God caused this, this, and that to fall into place. Maybe not exactly how we thought it would or how, uh, to the extent we might have liked it to, but we saw God working as we threw out the fleece and we made plans and we said, okay, God, we're going with you. We aren't omniscient. We are not wise as God is wise and we need him invested and involved in the plans that we make to guide the steps, to, to guard us, and to bear fruit as we plant those seeds. Let's pray for wisdom. James chapter 1, verse 5 reminds us that God will give wisdom to those who seek it. And then take steps forward, even if at the moment we don't have all the answers. Prepare for God to change our direction on the way, as he did with Paul previously in Acts, right? But not stagnant. Not just sitting around waiting for some grand sign in the sky as we just sit there. You want a sign? Do you want a sign from God? Look at all the gifts that God has given to you as a person, as an individual. All the abilities, all the talents, all the things you can do. God has knit you carefully together that he might use you as a tool in his hand. Use them. How are you planning on being used by God? Have you laid forth ways that God could use you? Have you looked at all those talents and all those things you can do and said, God, use me in this way? Drenching it in prayer and saying, I want to be used by you today in this way. How are we planning on being used by God in the next week? Don't let it get too far off, right? Oh, I want to be used by God in 20 years. Maybe when I retire, I'll have enough time. (laughs) All the retired people I've ever talked to say, you have less time when you're retired than you did when you were working, right? How are you planning on being used by God in the next month, in the next five years? When when Pastor Ed Ed and I were at the Answers in Genesis conference, uh, we went to a a barbecue joint, and, and Pastor Ed did this great thing. He planned on being used by God when we walked in that door, and I didn't even know it. He... We, we sat down, we placed our order, and, and he told the waitress, he said, we're going to be praying in just a minute here for our food. How can we pray for you? This was planned, wasn't it? He walked in with the purpose 
of doing that. This, and, and it was effective. As, as this young lady opened up about her schooling, where she was going to school, what she was planning on doing with her life, what she wanted to accomplish. And if, if Ed hadn't been planning it, it would have never happened, right? We wouldn't have planted those seeds in her life. That there are Christians out there willing, desirous to keep her in prayer. Do you plan on being useful to the kingdom of the gospel? Plan on impacting your community for the word of God, for the sake of Christ. The same way we plan our retirement or our next project with concrete, real, tangible plans. Not just hoping it'll happen by accident. This reminds me of the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, where God, or the, 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 owner, of, of, the owner gives to one man a talent of, of gold and, and another five talents, another ten talents, and the guy who gets ten talents, he goes out and he does a bunch of stuff with those ten talents, and he comes back and uh, the master says, that's great, you get made twice as much, I'm going to give you a blessing. Guy comes back with five talents, says, I made five more, then the master says, that's great. Bless you. The guy who had one talent comes back and says, you know, I just hid it in the ground because I feared you. I know you're a hard taskmaster and the master. And the master says, you, you saw me as a hard taskmaster? I'll, I'll show you what a hard taskmaster is, right? And he took away anything that he had. What gifts do you have? What has God given you? And will you use them for the sake of God in the gospel or sit on them. How can I be the most effective gospel messenger in the hand of God with the gifts, abilities, and all that he has given to me? And as we take those steps towards fulfilling those plans, we will impact the world around us as we walk without fear. Walk without fear. Verse 23. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. No little disturbance. The people, they, they were shaken up by this gospel message as it was starting to spread. The world fears. The world walks in fear. The way, the gospel message was disturbing it turning it upside down, as we read about in chapter 17, verse 6, right? This way was, was causing two major disruptions in their lives. Verse 25, Demetrius, he says, these gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. They feared economic loss. The things of this world that provided them with the luxuries that they had. Secondly, they feared a loss of their traditions and their culture. Verse 27. And there is danger. 
not only that this trade of ours may come into dispute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and she may even be disposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. This is our culture. We're losing our culture. We're losing our tradition because this gospel thing is coming in and taking away our finances and taking away our tradition, and we are fearing this. These people had made their wealth made their living by making and selling idols. And they feared the economic loss that the gospel message was affecting them with. These people grew up with the idea that Artemis was magnificent and worthy of worship, and I'm sure they had lots of feasts and family gatherings centered around this idea, and they feared losing their cultural way of life. This is how we've done things, this is how we've always done things, and here comes this gospel, and it's destroying how we've always done it. The early Christians, on the other hand, had already lost these things, hadn't they? The early Christians had, in fact, given these things up because they recognized the value of their walk with Christ, that their walk with Christ, their their salvation in him was far more important to them than their connection. A, A Jew who became a Christian lost their connection with the synagogue, lost all the support that that would have given them. They lost their connection with their family and all the support that that would have given them. They walked away perhaps from work. They walked away from everything. Celebrations and all that traditional enjoyment that they had with each other, they dropped it because they saw the value, the immense, rich, infinite value of their walk with Christ, the the immeasurable riches of the grace of God in Jesus Christ, as Scripture calls it. The things of this world, the money, the tradition, the culture, no longer had a grip on them. They could run for Christ now without fear of loss because the world was no longer their home. Philippians chapter 3. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even su- to subject all things to himself. Everything belongs to God. We have no need to fear anything in this world any longer. There is nothing of value in this world, eternally speaking. And we don't look forward to a finite life. We look forward to an eternal life in our Savior, Jesus Christ. For how many of us sitting here is the world still our home? Are the things of this earth still holding on to us as we fear really living for Jesus Christ, as we fear giving up what we might have here on this earth? For the sake of the gospel. Does our faith and new perspective on what's really important, what's really true, 
in Jesus Christ, give us the strength to subject all things to him. All the things in our lives. All the things that would try to hold us back. It doesn't give us strength to, to run headlong into an unruly crowd, just as Paul was about to do. He was prepared to go in there and the disciples had to hold him back and the the Asiarchs, those local rulers, had to say, Paul, don't go in there. Paul was willing. He was ready. He was going to go in. As Alexander was prepared to make a defense, are we ready to face down an unruly crowd and say, whoa, 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 whoa. This is what I stand for. This is what's really important. Jesus Christ and the gospel. Are we ready to give up what could be financial gain if we would only give in to what the world wants for us just to compromise a little bit? Does our faith give us a willingness to renounce our traditions, our culture, even our church culture, right? that we might reach others for the sake of the gospel. If we want to impact the world for the sake of the gospel, we can't hold on to the same things that the world does. It won't work. They don't go together. We must be willing to give up this world for the sake of Christ who died for us. To give up our lives and stand up for the gospel. In order to impact the world, our community, for the gospel, we must make concrete plans to be used by God, real plans, and live out those plans fearlessly, understanding the unsurpassable value of knowing Christ and putting our faith on display with a rational grace. At the close of our passage here, the, the town clerk rose up and he spoke to the crowd. Verse 35. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If, therefore, Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly, for we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. What did he have to say about those who represented the way? Verse 38. If, therefore, wait, nope, I had the wrong, uh, verse 37 is what I meant to write down. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. He, he, say, he quiets them all down. And he says, these guys have done nothing morally wrong to have been brought here in this way. There is no legitimate reason to risk being punished by Rome for rioting. 
We are in danger of being charged with rioting today, this is verse 40, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this. If we want to impact the world for the gospel, we need to live out and walk in a rational grace. We need to learn to speak the truth in love. We, we need to, to boldly proclaim the truth of the gospel message in a way that confronts cultural norms and that, that stand against the moral ways of God, yes, but also in a way that does not give them a good reason to hate us. They will hate us, because they hated Jesus Christ, correct? But we need to be careful not to give them a reason to hate us other than the truth of Jesus Christ, that gospel message. We don't need to be blasphemous to the world. We don't need to speak cruel, mean, negative words about them or their ways. We don't need to mock, tease, or be hateful. We don't need to make ourselves worthy of their spite and hatred. What would it have said about the way if these men had been dragged before the crowd and the town clerk could only say something like, I know why you brought these men here, and I agree with you, they are foul, mean, spiteful, hateful people. They are cruel and hard-hearted. They don't say good things about their God. They only say mean and awful things about ours. They only speak evil about our culture and ways. What would that have said about the gospel? And yet we see this very thing almost daily on Facebook. All the posts and all the words that make Christians laugh at the expense of the lost. Get a good chuckle out of it, but how does that represent Christ? Maybe politically motivated, but not Christ motivated. It may be perhaps morally driven, but not gospel driven. How do these things lead people to Christ? It's so easy to hold up morality and try to moralize the world with how they should behave and speak about how wrong they are to behave in the way they, they do and, and hold up our signs. It's so easy to slander a false religion because it is wrong, right? It's so easy to be negative just as the world all around us is negative and we fall right into the same pile. But what does Acts chapter 1, verse 8, call us to? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will moralize the world, telling them how wrong they are. No. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will tell them that Trump is the right man for office. No. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, 
Samaria, and to the end of the earth. We are called to tell people about Jesus Christ and the reason they need him. Let Jesus moralize them. That will happen if they accept Christ as their Savior. The morality will come, but moralizing isn't what we're called to. It's to be witnesses of what Jesus Christ has done on their behalf for their salvation because they need him desperately, just as is described in the first few chapters of Genesis. One of my favorite memes, you know those little pictures with words that show up on Facebook? One of my favorite memes that I've recently seen as a revision of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. I think I'm going to put it, yeah, I put it up there. It says, let no unwholesome meme or other post proceed from your social media postings, but only such a posting as is good for the edification, according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who read it. What if we flooded Facebook or any other social place we go, people we see, those we talk to, what if we flooded them with grace instead of spite? There's a difference between speaking the truth and speaking the truth in love. Scripture calls us to speak the truth in love. I'm not saying that we shouldn't stand against things like abortion or gender bending. We shouldn't give ground to the world. But when the rational non-believer looks at us, what do they see? Are they forced to say, I don't agree with them? but they've always spoken to me in a kind way. Whenever they've spoken the truth to me, they've tried to do it with grace. And I appreciate that. Or or maybe, "I, I don't want anything to do with Jesus, but you're the kind of person who really makes me come close to believing. Have we been those kind of seed planters? Walking in a rational grace. Are we living differently enough through our planning, our fearlessness, and our graciousness that we are impacting our community, our our soil, with the truth of the gospel? Let me put it to you another way. What if? What if today I removed the name of Christ from Everything I say, everything I do, everywhere I go. What if I stopped believing in Christ, if I I no longer lived for his kingdom? What if? Who would notice? Would anyone in my life notice that I've left Christ out? How would my life be any different than what it is? Would I get another half of a day of the week back as I don't go to church anymore? We come to church on Sunday. What do we do with the other six and a half days out of the week? Is Christ pouring out of us in grace? Are we planning on being used by Christ? Are we fearless because this world has no grip on us? It doesn't. Let's not let it. Are we ready to impact the world with who we are in Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Lord God, like a bride waiting for her groom. 
we anxiously await your arrival. And Father God, we do wait for the second coming of Jesus Christ. We do wait. Lord God, we pray that in the meantime, that you'd give us the strength to fill the gap, to to serve you and to live for you and, and have others see Christ in us, Christ behind us, Christ before us, Christ all around us, Christ in everything we say, Christ in everything we do, Christ in everywhere we go, how we spend our time. Father God, work in us and through us. Change us. Don't let us just stagnate. I pray, Father, by your Holy Spirit, fill us up and work through this church. I pray, O God, we are your people crafted by your hand and we are given to you. We are saved through the blood of your Son, not by ourselves, not by our works, that none should boast before you, but we should come before you and say, Lord, we are yours. Make us yours more and more every day, I pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen.